Hello, and welcome to episode 66 of Killer Hangover. I'm Bettina. And I'm Beth. This week, we're going to cover Idaho. I have the true crime, and Bethy has the paranormal and the drink and the pinch hitter. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. By popular demand. <laughs> He's back. <laughs> uh, just all the outpouring of having me be on here and just be a regular. It's pretty crazy. And the big head is still here. <laughs> They want more of the bartender Alex. So. Oh boy! <laughs> oh my God! I should do it. I should pick a drink one time. Oh my gosh! He just got really excited. No, I mean that's a good. I mean I just thought of like that would be a good idea. Okay, so the next episode. That's good. Do it when I'm doing it. Okay. Oh yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I decided to go with lemon juice with. <laughs> Chai, cayenne pepper. Cayenne pepper sprinkled, sprinkled in it. Floating around. And don't worry about the other stuff floating there. It's it's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, there's nothing floating around in this drink but ice. It, it's actually really cool looking. Good job. You were about to say really good because you have already almost drank half of it. It's good looking. Yeah. He couldn't resist. <laughs> good and looking. He's been enjoying it. This is goes by, I'll be honest, it was a little tricky because this drink goes by several names and there was several variations of the cocktail. Skinny Huckleberry Cocktail, the Huckleberry Lemonade, and the Idaho Cocktail. But they, okay. they were all very similar in the fact that they used huckleberry vodka, which I was really excited that I found. So I used 360 huckleberry vodka, which is actually made here in Missouri, but it's made with huckleberries, which is Idaho's state fruit. Oh, nice. Well, if it's made there in Missouri, I should be able to get it. Yeah. I'm going to the liquor store tomorrow, actually. <laughs> what is a huckleberry? Like, what does it look like? It looks like a little blueberry. Some of them are a little more red. Some of them are a little more, like, black. But they're a little more tart than blueberries, I think. And they don't mm -hmm. bloom or aren't very ripe for very long. Oh. They're found in the mountains, and actually bears love to eat them. If I'm not mistaken, they're a lot like currants, aren't they? I don't know what a current is, except in the water. I, I can't help either. Don't <laughs> I don't. We're not current people. <laughs> okay, moving on. We're more blueberry people. <laughs> so, like I said, there's different variations of this cocktail. They were all very similar in the way that they used huckleberry vodka and lemonade. Um, usually like a fruity lemonade, like a raspberry lemonade or a strawberry lemonade. But then That's there was different, like some of the cocktails asked for limoncello. The one that I kind of went with the most, it was difficult to do because the recipe actually called for to like make like a big punch bowl filled with it. And I'm just making one for Alex. So <laughs> It's perfect. You think it's perfect tasting? I mean, it's it's awesome. Okay, then I'm going to give this recipe that I made. Okay, it was a shot of 360 Huckleberry Vodka. Mm -hmm. And then 
I really just kind of filled half the glass with raspberry lemonade. That's why it's awesome. I guess. <laughs> Is it that um that simply? Yes. Okay, well, that's why. That stuff's awesome. That's why. It's yeah. yummy. <laughs> then there's even a splash of lemon-lime soda instead of the lemoncello. It called for a lemon-lime yeah. soda to add like a the fizz. tangy fizz to it. Yeah. And then there's actually even a shot of beer in there. A you should have what? seen his face. That's so good. A shot of beer. Oh, really? Yeah. So his face was just like, what? He does not like beer. So Uh, no, let don't spread that rumor on here. I like (laughs) beer. I just don't like fact. I don't like a ton of beer in a setting. So like a shot of beer in this drink was perfect. Good summer. It's a good summer. Yeah. And then you can garnish it with like raspberries and blueberries and fruit. But I didn't do that. Sorry. Well, I, mean, I didn't want anything floating in your drink. No, I <laughs> So <laughs> when you. you guys come over for the pool, we can make a big batch of it. Is that what you're saying? A big tub of it. Just fill it up in the tub. <laughs> like in college? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like in college. The recipe made like 24 servings on the taste of oh, home wow. that I had. So I was like, how am I going to make this into one cocktail? But seemed to do the trick. You succeeded. It's excellent. Thank you. And listeners, I'm sorry I did not make the drink. Um, so we're going to just let go off of what Alex says. But I think I'm going to make this tomorrow. <laughs> so. so I'm just drinking so Alex myself. Is, so we just announced to everybody that Alex is drinking alone. alone. <laughs> yeah. In which Solo the whole point drinker. of having me on here is so one of us didn't drink alone. And yet it's come full <laughs> circle. <laughs> or 360, right? <laughs> That now I'm on here drinking alone. So perfect. We, we've done it. Shout out to 360. Oh my gosh. Oh boy. I guess I'll just go in the other room and drink by myself. I don't. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us. Yep. Well. Until Hope you next don't time. feel too used. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I would say thanks for having me again, but yep. Anyway, <laughs> have a good show. Hey, at least it's a good cocktail you're drinking That's by true. yourself. Well, thank you, Alex, for doing that. You know, we're doing this virtual thing. It's it's just different. But thank you, Alex. Mm-hmm. No problem. You guys have a good uh, recording session. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Bye. 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 <laughs> Well, now that that ding dong's gone, I can be a little more serious in wishing all of our listeners, all of our fur baby moms, our step moms, our half moms, our real moms, our quarter moms, whatever you want to call them. Our guardians, right. Moms in our lives. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to you, mom. Happy Mother's Day to you, daughter. It's coming up next Sunday. So all those that need to go out and get presents, go do that. (laughs) May 9th, May 9th. So this is like a heads up. Happy Mother's Day episode. <laughs> also, mom, your birthday is coming up on the 7th. It is. It's going to be on a Friday this year. Woohoo! Party. <laughs> I don't know about that, but woohoo. <laughs> so happy birthday to you, mom. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. Anyway, let's move on to yeah. some true crime. <laughs> So, Bethy, I'm going to start off with a little personal aside. As a teenager, I was definitely, let's say, um, boy crazy. (laughs) And I'm sure I gave my parents a few gray hairs. 
Now, Aunt Chris, my sister, who is two years younger than myself, she was like the perfect teenager. She probably learned from me what not to do, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I did date several guys who my parents were totally against me dating. And as it turned out, they were, for the most part, spot on. The guys turned out to be like total losers. Oh, doesn't that suck when the mom's always right? I I had a a few of those instances growing (laughs) up, too. (laughs) It doesn't suck when I'm the mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, this is this is true. I I do like having that role. (laughs) (laughs) I never dated anyone for a long time, nor can I say that I was ever really, quote, in love in those teenage years. And I'm telling you this because it does tie in with the true crime. I'm not just spewing (laughs) my past out to you. (laughs) You just wanted to share, Mom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I haven't talked to you for a while, so I just want to share. (laughs) So the true crime I'm going to share with you, I can relate with the parents having had teens of my own. And I can relate with the subject of this week's episode. And she is Sarah Johnson. But believe me, I can't relate to her to the extent that she went to. Uh Uh-oh. Okay? Okay. So, let me start at the beginning. Sarah Johnson was born January 24th, 1987. Her father, Alan, mother, Diane, and brother, Matt, welcomed their precious baby girl. The family was now complete. The Johnsons lived in a very nice neighborhood in Bellevue, Idaho. And I didn't know this before, but Bellevue is this beautiful, beautiful little resort town that sits on the outskirts of Sun Valley, Idaho. Oh, that sounds beautiful. Sun Valley is where the rich and famous go to relax and retire. Oh. Yeah. So it's a very safe, very, I mean, it is the... The little resort town was just beautiful, just quaint, beautiful. So Diane and Alan were good parents. They were doting parents. Sarah had a very happy childhood. She was close to her brother and was treated like a princess by her father. (laughs) Sarah was happy-go-lucky as a young child and as she got older. In high school, Sarah was popular in school, always had good grades, played volleyball and basketball, and was on the debate team. The Johnsons seemed to have the perfect life. Alan and Diane were very happily married. Alan was part owner of a landscaping company and Diane worked at a medical clinic. They treasured their children and enjoyed spending time with them. In the 2016-2020 interview, Matt said that his parents were his best friends. Oh my gosh. At the time of the horrible tragedy, which happened September 2nd, 2003, the day after Labor Day weekend. Matt was 22. Sarah was 16. The summer had proved a bit difficult for Alan and Diane. Sarah had met a man in June and had fallen in love. You said a man? Well, he was a, he was 19. Okay. That's old for a 16-year-old. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Alan and Diane were not supportive of the relationship. So Bruno Santos was from Mexico. He was in the U.S. illegally. He was a 19-year-old high school dropout who sold drugs. Oh, I don't know if I'd be on board with that either. (laughs) (laughs) He's looking at pictures, very, very attractive guy. But his attitude was cocky and arrogant. But Sarah was in love with Mm. him. And no one and nothing could stop her from (laughs) seeing Bruno. 
Yeah, brings back some memories, right? Mm. Sorry, <laughs> I Bruno. I just keep thinking of Bruno. The <laughs> That was a terrible accent, but <laughs> was okay. that an accent? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking okay. about, Bruno. No, but going back to the Labor Day of 2003, uh, that Labor Day weekend, Sarah told her parents that she was spending the night at her girlfriend's house. In actuality, she spent the night with Bruno. I don't know how, but somehow Sarah's parents found out where she was. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> So that Sunday, they drove to Bruno's house. He lived with his family. They drug Sarah out of the house, and Alan threatened Bruno. He was to leave Sarah alone, never see or speak with her again. If he did, Alan would call the police and accuse him of statutory rape and report to them about Bruno's immigration status. As for Sarah, she was grounded indefinitely, and her car keys were taken away. Uh-oh. And for some reason... She took her punishment very well, like unusually well. Hmm. You see, she had been fighting with her parents, especially her mother, all summer long about Bruno. And when I say fighting, I mean fighting, not just the yelling and the talking back and stuff, but they were yelling, screaming. Uh, Sarah would just stomp her feet all over, um, you know, the kitchen and <laughs> yeah, all over, on the walls, <laughs> on the ceiling. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but, you know. Basically, she just had a like a little fit like a two-year-old would and just stomping around. Well, she's still 16, you know. We think we know the whole world in and out at 16. <laughs> 17, 18. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Sarah and her mother even got into a physical altercation. Uh-oh. Yeah, I guess her mother had just had it one day and just, you know, kind of slapped Sarah. And Sarah actually slapped back oh, and was shoot. getting ready to keep doing it until I think Alan had to stop in the middle of them. Crud. So it was not a good, not a good scene. So on this Sunday, Sarah, who usually had had to have her way and always had to be right. Well, she was fairly quiet and took her punishment unusually well. So this was mm. odd. Two days later at 6.30 a.m., Matt had gone back to college. Diane was still asleep. And Alan was in the shower getting ready for work. Suddenly, there was a gunshot blast. <gasps> Diane had been shot point blank in the head. Oh, my gosh. Hearing the shot, Alan, still wet, ran from the bathroom and was shot in the chest. Sarah, panicky, ran to a neighbor's house and the neighbor called 911 with Sarah screaming and crying in the background. Police found a gruesome scene when mm. they got to the Johnson's home. I mean, they described this and it was just... Well, so there was blood and bits of bone and tissue on the carpet, on the walls, and even on the ceiling. Because remember, the Diane had at, been shot. Yeah, point blank, blank point blank in the head. Oh my gosh! There was even a note that there was a skull cap, so the top of her skull. Okay. In the hallway. Oh my I mean, gosh! Like it had been completely was blown it, off. Was it was a rifle or something like a big gun used? Yeah, I'll get. I'll get right to that. Um, okay. I just had to assume because that's a, I can't imagine like a handgun doing Oh, it that. was a very violent scene. Of course, most of the blood was in Diane and Alan's bedroom, but there was also some in the hall and in Sarah's room, which was across the hall. At first, police thought this to be a murder-suicide. Mm -mm. County Sheriff Walt Femling was called to the scene, and he quickly ruled the murder-suicide notion out when he noticed the murder weapon, 
a Winchester Magnum rifle. Yeah. Wow. And it, it was across the room from the bodies. So there was no way Mm-mm. that it could have been murder-suicide. No. He also noticed two butcher knives lying tip to tip on the foot of the bed. So the sharp ends of the sure. of the butcher knives were tip to tip. Okay. And I guess that was some kind of gang sign that mm. the gang had been there. It was just an interesting, uh, s- something interesting that they found that completely kind of ruled out the murder-suicide also. The detective quickly ran outside to have the house as well as the sections of the street taped off. Okay, this is like the craziest part. He saw the garbage truck, which was one house away from coming towards the Johnson's house. He was just in time to stop the truck from getting the Johnson's trash, which was an unbelievable turn of events as a lot of evidence was in that trash can. Wow, good call. In fact, the as they call it, smoking gun that nailed the killer was in that trash can. So, I mean, and think about how close that, think about how close that was. One house away. That's how close it was, mom. A house away. (laughs) (laughs) It was just crazy to me. So in the trash, they found some bullets, a left-handed leather glove, Mm -hmm. a right-handed latex glove, Mm -hmm. and a pink robe. For some odd reason, the blood and tissue was all over the sleeves and the back of the robe, not the front. Oh, okay. Matt had been called and came home in time to see his parents' bodies being loaded in the coroner's van. Oh my gosh. He was devastated, as were the other family members and friends gathered outside of the house. I I mean, you can imagine, like he said, his parents were his best friends. He would go fishing and hunting with his dad. And I mean, they were really tight. That's so sad. Only Sarah seemed a bit off. One family member reported that Sarah was sobbing on her shoulder. But then when a friend of Sarah stopped to console her, Sarah turned to the friend and whispered, make sure Bruno's all right, and then started crying again. Mm. It was just weird. There was also the time her parents' bodies were being loaded in the van and then driven down the road, you know, the uh, driveway. And Sarah just sat on a fence rail and watched, never looking away from the scene. Now, remember, this girl is 16 years old. And I, I, well, you weren't there. But when my parents passed away, I was an adult. And they died two years apart from each other and were both in hospice at their individual homes at the time. I was able to do a lot. I even helped clean my mother's body before they picked her up. But the one thing I could not do for either of my parents I could not watch their bodies being taken out of the house in body bags. Oh, gosh, I, just, I can't I, even imagine. No, I couldn't no, no, do no, it. No, 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 no. Um, like I said, I, I saw their dead bodies. I cleaned my mother's body. I just couldn't do that part. Mm-mm. But Sarah, 16-year-old Sarah, just sat and watched. No tears. She just sat and stared. Well, everybody reacts so differently in these situations. I don't. They do. There's no right but and people wrong. At the but scene, just... everybody seemed to describe her as cold and distance and even distant. And even the, the detective just thought it was extremely odd okay. that she would just sit there. In fact, the police had to move her over because she was kind of like right there. Like gawky, get it? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Of course, after hearing about the confrontation between Alan and Bruno, police wanted to question Bruno. Of course. They didn't even have to go to his house. Bruno had turned up at the crime scene. He was thoroughly questioned, 
but Bruno had an alibi. He was at his house across town at the time of the murder, and his family backed his statement up. Police had to wait for the DNA in the gloves to come back to be certain, but they could not find any evidence that Bruno had ever been in the Johnson house. Oh, okay. Wow. No hair, no nothing. The next person of interest was the owner of the Winchester rifle. His name was Mel Spiegel. He rented a garage apartment in the guest house on the Johnson's property. The door to his apartment was locked, but the Johnsons had a key. The rifle was kept in an unlocked closet. Mm. But Mel Spiegel was away over Labor Day weekend and had not returned home on the day of the murders. So he was clear. Hmm. So somebody knew that that gun was there. There. Mm -hmm. After police heard about that constant fighting that summer between mother and daughter, Sarah was brought in for questioning. When Sarah first talked to the police, she said that she heard her parents shower running, and then she heard two gunshots. She ran across to the hall to her parents' bedroom and found the door closed. She beat her fists on the door and called out to her mother. When there was no answer, she ran to the neighbor's house for help. But then every time Sarah was brought in for questioning, her story would change. Mm. Just a little, but it would change to like her parents' bedroom was closed and then the next story it was slightly open and then her bedroom door was closed and then theirs was open but i mean they're little right nuances right. they're really small but they're really big because if her if the bedroom door was open you know she would see what was there right and she said she knocked on the door and her mother didn't answer well that wouldn't have been true if the bedroom door was open right also if her room was closed and their room was open why was there blood and tissue in her room i was just gonna ask why was there blood and tissue in her room and then you have to even take a step back was there anything stolen did they was there anybody ag- against these people like there, right. where's there was the, nothing where's the motive coming from the only thing that was askew was between the parents bedroom mm-hmm. the hallway and sarah's bedroom right so and in none of her stories did she say she went back to her bedroom, but she must have she must because have, right. after she checked on her parents, she must have run across the hall and gone to her bedroom. Well, what about like the evidence that they found in the trash? Okay. Remember, it's being tested. Okay. For DNA. Okay. But when she was questioned about the pink robe, her response was very odd. I mean, okay, so the, the cop goes, so does the pink robe belong to you? Instead of answering, she said, I didn't kill my parents. There wasn't a yes or no. She responded, I didn't kill my parents. This is just making my stomach all in knots. Sorry, go on. Oh, that's the baby moving. Well, that too, but no, no, this isn't knots. She then admitted that the robe was hers, but she had no idea how it got into the trash. Mm, Maybe the killer was the maid who had recently been fired. Sarah suggested this. People were leaning more and more to the idea that Sarah had killed her parents. Her behavior was so odd. Not only did she seem detached from the death of her parents, but her grief didn't appear genuine. She was more concerned with her hair and getting her nails done, like the day after her parents were killed. What? Sarah's friend, Shantae, reported on 2020 that she remembers shortly after the death of her parents, Sarah had come up to her during volleyball practice and said, Hey, find Bruno and tell him that I love him no matter what happens. It was then Shantae said that she knew Sarah had killed her parents. 
So Sarah's brother, Matt, was on 2020. Oh, this poor kid. Guy, man. He's older, so geez, I can't imagine. Yeah, but still. He was asked if he had asked Sarah the, quote, big question. Had she killed her parents? No, Matt responded. I was afraid of the answer. Everyone treated Sarah with kid gloves, even with suspicions running high. They were just following the police's suggestion with be as nice as you can. Because they were waiting for the DNA evidence. They didn't want her running off. They wanted her to stay there. So her aunt and uncle, who happened to be visiting, were at the house on that Labor Day weekend. So they saw that Sarah, what she had said, that she had gone to her girlfriend's house. They saw the conflict firsthand. They they witnessed it all. Okay. Even they started suspecting Sarah greatly for killing so where was parents. she living after all this? Th- that's it. She was living at her aunt's and uncle's house, even though they suspected her Ooh. of killing the parents. Oh, that's so But she scary. had to go someplace. Right. Yeah. She's 16. She, you know, she yeah. had to be. She had. She's 16. She had to go someplace. So they took her in. But like I said, they walked on eggshells because they. Yeah. Can you imagine? No, 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 no. So you you suspect somebody in your family for killing another person? you know, two people in your family and then you have to house them. No. And then even putting the fact that it's a kid, you I don't know why that's a creepier factor to me is just like you don't know when they're going to snap. You can't. I mean, teenagers emotions are up, down, up, down, roller coaster all the time. Right. So right. That would be really scary. <laughs> no, it would be. And you knew this child since they were born right you knew the adorable little girl that she used to be you knew how you know she was a great student you know so you're trying to wrap your mind over you know around that and you're grieving at the same time yeah I mean it's a crazy situation so finally (sighs) DNA results came back well they started trickling back should I say and results showed that the blood on Sarah's robe belonged to Diane Uh, gunshot residue was found on the leather glove Bruno's DNA was not in or on any of the evidence. So, Bruno, you're out of here. Sarah's grandfather, Dean Dishman, stated in an interview that he remembers talking to Sheriff Flemling and asking, so, Walt, who pulled the trigger? Was it Bruno? And Flemling answered, no. Well, then whose is it? Asked the grandfather. The answer, it's Sarah's. Sarah. So, I mean, I just couldn't imagine being a grandfather and getting that news, even though you suspect it, but it doesn't really hit home until you actually hear that, you know? No, I mean, that's the last thing you want to even think about. No, that's the last thing you want to think about. No. So by mid-October, six weeks after the murders, the state lab came back. They had found Sarah's DNA inside the glove, for sure. Wow. And that was their smoking gun. You know, the glove that was in the trash can. <laughs> so on o- October 29th, 2003, Sarah Johnson was arrested and charged as an adult on two counts of first degree murder, to which, of course, she pleaded not, not guilty. guilty. The trial began in February 2005. The prosecution had so much evidence against Sarah. The DNA in the glove, a shower cap, which had been flushed down the toilet. Oh, goodness. And then, of course, retrieved drops of Diane's blood on the sock Sarah was wearing on the morning of her parents' murder. Her odd behavior came into mm-hmm. questioning also. Then there was bruising on her right shoulder, exactly where the gun barrel would have bruised her during kickback yep. after the shooting. But still, 
it wasn't going to be easy to prove that a young, smart, popular, athletic high school girl had suddenly turned into a killer. Jeez. So on the other side, the defense's cry was, no blood, no guilt. He kept saying that over and over again. No blood, no guilt. (laughs) Why wasn't Sarah covered with blood and tissue the morning of the killing? Diane had been shot at extremely close range. Blood, bone, and tissue would have splattered the killer. But Sarah didn't have anything on her. Not her hair. Heck, she didn't even have a speckle on the uh, little post earrings that she was wearing. No blood, no guilt. Well, that is interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing on her. So this idiot, well, I can't, he was doing his job, but the defense, he even accused Matt, <gasps> who had testified against his sister. So Matt did testify against his sister, but the defense said he had testified only to get his hands on not only his share of the $500,000 insurance, but if Sarah goes to jail, he would get her share also. So he was making all this story about Sarah fighting with her mom and all this stuff. He was making it up because he wanted the insurance money. My gosh, that's sick. Oh, after six weeks, Sarah's life was turned over to the jury. They deliberated for only two days Hmm. and came back to court with a guilty verdict on two counts of murder. Well, Sarah was sentenced to two life sentences to be served consecutively with no parole. Hmm. Family members, although they may have suspected, but to hear her sentencing in court, it just made oh, I it can't real. Imagine. Yeah. And they had a really hard time just, you know, with the interviews on 2020, you could tell that it was so hard for them to wrap their minds around the fact that Sarah had killed her own parents. After sentencing, family members were allowed to speak in court to Sarah. Matt said, you know what I miss most about mom and dad? I miss their hugs. Ugh. I miss their big bear hugs. Oh. Gosh. (laughs) And her grandmother kept asking why. And then she told Sarah that she still loved her. Oh, my gosh. In her statement to the family, Sarah said that she loved her parents and her family and that she wanted to grow and learn in prison so she could become a productive member of society. When so, you have two life sentences with no parole, when are you going to be out in society? Exactly. It sounded more of a uh, parole statement mm-hmm. than uh, an apology. In fact, she never said she was sorry. In fact, she has never, to this day, accepted responsibility for the death of her parents. Oh my. Even though it's just, there is like no doubt, right? Right. So now I'm going to bring up the robe. So the blood and tissue was found on the back of the robe and the shower cap had been flushed down the toilet. And you asked, well, why didn't Sarah have any blood splatter she on her? she wearing it backwards or upside down? I guess down? Sarah had been <laughs> <laughs> upside down. Her feet were in the robe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to figure this out. So I guess Sarah had always been interested in true crime. Uh Oh, Oh. (laughs) and she picked up a thing or two from this. Uh, Did she have the shower cap like over her face? (laughs) Stop laughing. I'm trying to figure this out. (laughs) I'm picturing a backwards robe and a shower cap over her face. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No. So I think, okay, 
the shower cap was used to cover her hair, her ear, you know. So it's worn properly. It could have gotten in, you know, so. Worn properly. Okay, got it. (laughs) And it was probably covered with blood. I mean, think about it. So I'm sure she quickly just flushed that down the toilet. But why didn't she get anything on her face? They retrieved it. Well, she can wash that off. And then the robe was worn backwards. I mean, that I thought that was a pretty self-explanatory, but it took, I don't know, what's her name? Grace or? Nancy Grace. Yeah. It took her to point out that the robe had been worn backwards. I'm going, huh? Well, I initially <laughs> thought backwards. And they took it out of the trash. It was on the back and on the sleeves. Okay. That's right. But nowhere on the front of it. Okay. Well, yeah. Then I so would, that would make total sense. Like, it's okay. on backwards. Duh. <laughs> I don't know what was so hard about figuring that one out. But anyway, so Sarah refuses to see family or friends in prison. And that's okay with some like her brother, Matt, who claimed that Sarah has always been very dramatic and a consistent liar. Hmm. He wants to put everything behind him and has no desire to ever talk to Sarah. But she's your sister, said the 2020 interviewer. Ew. Like, yes. at the same time, she also tried to pin it on him in, in trial. Like, it's another Casey Anthony thing. Like, no, I, I'm sorry. You took my family away from me. He answered, yes, but she killed my parents. Yeah. I mean, like, point blank. Yeah, she's my sister, but pff, she killed my parents. Yeah. She took them away from me. Why? Why, you know. So Sarah is serving time for patricide, which in itself is a very unusual crime. And then when it is committed, it's usually boys who do the crime. Hmm. So only about 2% of all homicides in the U.S. are labeled patricide. And that's a very small number. It is. And 90% of those 2% homicides are committed by males. Interesting. So if you put those numbers together, it is extremely rare for girls to kill their parents. Wow. So this is a very sad story of revenge and young love. Oh, by the way, remember Bruno? Yeah, I was going to ask. He did not stand by his woman's side. (laughs) No, that's... He, of course, testified in court because he was called up. He dumped her as fast as he could. I mean, it was just like, out of here. Um... You don't know when she's going to turn on him. You don't know who she's going to turn on next. Well, what's he supposed to do? She's in life for, you know. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, it's a little scary. I mean, he is a drug dealer and not a great guy, but. uh, Uh, Drug dealer versus murdering your parents is a little different. (laughs) So this is a story of a young girl's immature emotions coming to a head. Of course, in a fantasy world that Sarah Johnson may have created, she and Bruno would ride into the sunset and live happily ever after. Instead, Bruno rode into the sunset. <laughs> she, she's, she's behind bars. She's stuck in some cement cell. Yeah. No, I just thought because I'd not really heard of um, a case of patricide from a, you know, a girl killing her parents. I thought this was interesting. That is very interesting. That poor brother. I just can't even. That sucks. Yeah. You know, we've talked about backgrounds before of these killers, but this girl had it all. She really did. She had everything. She really, really did. She had money. She had a great home. She had loving parents. She had everything. They were watching out for her, too. It's not like they were, you know, trying to be these evil people, Romeo and Juliet, and ruin her life. But, like... too bad well interestingly enough my paranormal story this week has to deal with 
high school. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that is interesting. <laughs> oh, high school. Ugh. Some people loved it and others Not me. hated it. <laughs> I personally attended three different high schools. Not because I was kicked out of them or anything like that. Yeah, whatever. But, but that's what being a military kid does for you. I personally enjoyed high school, but it's not a time in my life I'd love to relive anytime soon. Mm -hmm. I remember starting high school. I had a terrible first day of high school as a freshman. I attended a Catholic high school. It was Trinity High School in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. You know, the knee-high socks, pleated skirt, the whole nine <laughs> yards. Well... On my first day, we went to our homeroom, and then we all had to go to the auditorium for a welcome assembly, the entire school. There was a long, like, larger staircase that led to the entryway of the school, that led to the hallway of the auditorium. The whole school is climbing the stairs, heading to the assembly. When, you didn't fall, did you? When little <laughs> freshman Beth trips going up the stairs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, How did I know that? not trips. But literally falls to my knees, sliding down a few stairs. <laughs> I mean, those who know me are not very surprised. But not only did I take a total tumble, wiping out a few people on my way down, <laughs> but my my cute little pleated uniform skirt goes up and basically <laughs> got tucked in the waist of my skirt on the way down the stairs. I remember just... Laying there on the <laughs> stairs, my booty hanging out, mortified. <laughs> and that was my very first day of high school. Oh, my stomach hurts because I can picture this perfectly. The end. That <laughs> is the scary story of the week. I still have nightmares about it to this day. It's almost as haunting as Catman. <laughs> oh, just kidding. But seriously, high school is scary enough as a freshman. But what if your high school was haunted? Mm. Pocatello High School in the mountain town of Pocatello, Idaho, is said to be one of the most haunted places in the state, according to some. Are, are kids still going here? Yes. Okay. Now, I do have to say that there are not too many haunted places in Idaho. Y'all are more low-key when it comes to your paranormal places. <laughs> but I found this haunted high school to be interesting because Pocatello seems to be pretty haunted in general as well. Oh. The town was established by fur traders in the early 19th century and really grew during the gold rush in the 1860s. Now, it's not, so like I said, it's not just the high school that's haunted. There's haunted speakeasies, opium dens, underground tunnels, and in Massacre Rock State Park, which is nearby, I guess. Um, it's named because of the narrow passage through the boulders known as the Gate of Death, where worried passerbys may or may not be ambushed by the local Native American tribes. But this local park, as well as Fort Hall Bottoms, which I guess is a fishery out there. I, it might be on a local Indian reservation, so I don't know if it's open to the public. But anyway, okay. these places with water nearby the area include these really scary stories about water babies, huh? which are these supernatural beings that kidnap and eat children and they live in the water. Ooh. 
comes up with this stuff? Bigfoot's been seen in the area, too. God, he travels all over. He does. <laughs> he was in Massachusetts, too. <laughs> he, he walks all over the place. Good thing he's got some big feet. Thunk. Yeah, that was really dumb. I might cut that out. Anyway, <laughs> these are all very boring stories compared to my high school story. My personal high school story. (laughs) (laughs) I still am going to laugh. Man, I am filled with bad jokes today. Okay. Pocatello High School. We've got spirits. Yes, we do. We've got spirits. (laughs) How about you? How about you? (laughs) Makes makes that cheer sound completely different, doesn't it? They have t-shirts. They sell t-shirts. I thought that was so clever. That's awesome. <laughs> and it has like their high school and then some ghosts coming out of it on the oh shirt. Oh my gosh. I thought that was so clever. Okay. So I don't know if you remember Ghost Hunters. Taps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The show with Jason and Grant. They're two plumbers during the day, paranormal investigators at night. Well, they kind of all went their separate ways back in 2016. Um, like Grant wanted to go home and just focus on his family for a while. He had a growing family, young kids. Anyway, I give this little history because Grant has come back and he started doing Ghost Hunters again. It's a different crew. All of it's different, but it still goes by Ghost Hunters. Okay. So when they came back, their first episode back, Hugged by a Spirit, season one, episode one, is on Pocatello High School. So Grant is kind of like going back to how Ghost Hunters started. And he he's really about helping people. And we love Ghost Adventures. We've talked about Ghost Adventures. But they're just into the dramatics of things. Sure. And yeah. yeah, they've got great evidence. And they've done a lot in the paranormal world. I'm not knocking them by any means. But Ghost Hunters really wants to, their goal is basically to debunk things. To like mm-hmm. help okay. the people out to figure out what's going on and what's fact versus fiction. And in this case, they really want to help the principal of Pokey High School, as they call it, Lisa Delones. Uh, they really want to help her with rumors versus fact. It's a high school. There's a lot of rumors in high school. Nuh-uh. <laughs> So she explains to them that, yes, her school is old. It was built in 1892, Mm -hmm. and there had always been rumors, but things had started escalating. She had been called to the middle of the night because the alarm in the school was going off. When she arrived, there were police, and they told Lisa that when they arrived, the lights in the school were flickering on and off. The alarm was going off. Oh. The police had swept the building, nothing was found, and everyone went home. And a couple of my resources stated that it was even during winter break, so nobody... There's no reason for anyone to be in there. Exactly. The next day, she went into the school to start going over the security footage because she was with some police officers because she was really concerned. She wanted to go back and look. And in the security footage, she sees all the lights just start flickering and going crazy and all the different angles of the different cameras. So like I said, the school's totally empty. It's late at night. And as these lights are going crazy, you see this figure. Uh-uh. It's standing there. And then it appears that it's walking into the woman's restroom. And then it kind of goes out of view for a little bit and then comes back out into the hallway from the woman's restroom. So when you say figure, is it like a shadow only? or Yes, you... it's like this dark mass looking shadow figure. Okay. And when it's in that area, the lights in that area are flickering. I mean, it's like a horror movie. 
because it's these big fluorescent lights in a school are going on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off. But then when and then the, you see this shadow the figure, shadow figure leaves that room, they stop. No, they just kept or flickering. They, they oh, just geez. kept flickering. After this evidence was released, and I guess, you know, she's showing somebody who ends up telling somebody who ends up telling somebody, and there's the rumor mill well, in a high school. that's too juicy to keep quiet, yeah. <laughs> After this kind of gets out, the excitement about Pokey High School being haunted, it's always kind of been what everybody's talked about, but now it's really escalating because there's mm-hmm. this footage, and the stories start to get more elaborate. You know, like, someone's died in the school now, and so she really <laughs> wants this team to come out and help you know again what is rumor and what is actually going on and it's probably why she didn't call ghost adventures because they're gonna find some demon in a closet somewhere or a demon in the (sighs) boiler room downstairs in the basement (laughs) get out now no more school (laughs) so this principal wants to know if there's substance or if this is just people's imaginations going crazy So like I said, the school was built in 1892 and rumors of the school being haunted started back in the 50s. And there were a few haunted tales shared on the Ghost Hunters episode by staff and students alike. Nighttime custodians will see a woman in a long dress. Now, it didn't say white dress. It just said long dress. Okay. In the auditorium. If they're like there cleaning the stage area, she they can see her on the balcony. And sometimes they even assume it's a student because it looks so real. And oh. so they'll yell like, you need to get out. Like this is a nighttime custodian. It's mm-hmm. it's you need to get out of here. And on a couple occasions, the spirit has kicked in some of the auditorium seats. <laughs> you know how they kind of fall. She right. just like yeah. go through and kick them. The school's gym or the pit, as they call it, is also haunted by an entity. There was a teacher that came during the weekend to do some work in her classroom, and she brought her two young sons with her. She left them in the gym with the basketball, and she went to her classroom to go get her work done. When she came in to check on them, they weren't playing, but they were sitting in the corner of the gym, not moving and scared. She asked, <laughs> no. what are you doing? And the kids said, yeah. well, they said to be quiet. So she they were said just who sitting. and they said them. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Some students told a story about the Diamond Gym, which is an indoor smaller gym used by the softball and the baseball teams. But the gym supposedly used to be a pool and a student had drowned in the pool. And this student was one of the haunts of the high school. Another legend was of a librarian with a love story gone wrong. And she had hung herself on the chandelier in the middle of the school library. Mm. So the ghost hunter team goes in, sets up and gets ready to investigate. And honestly, I liked their take on it. Like they think like you, mom, like they think there's a logical answer for this. There's this. Not everything can always be a haunting. Okay. (laughs) They are such wise men. It's not about the dramatics to them. (coughs) Zach Bagans. (coughs) But... (laughs) Finding the truth to things. The team splits up into groups of twos and investigates for two nights. The first thing that Grant wants to investigate is that security footage of the spirit walking. It kind of looks like they're pacing in and out of the woman's bathroom with the lights flickering. Of course. He grabs a ladder and sure enough, a good old cobweb, like a dust bunny, is hanging from the camera. Oh... Meaning the figure was probably 
a string, a cobweb, a dust bunny. Sure. Debunked. But, but still, the lights are flickering. Right. Exactly. So he really wants to look into that because he's not sure about that. That's still really odd. So he wants to hire, I almost said plumber. So he wants to bring in an electrician to look into that. I don't know where my head is sometimes. So two other investigators, Mustafa and Brandon, are investigating in the gymnasium. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Mustafa and the gymnasium. (laughs) It's interesting because they hear tapping coming from the bleachers. So Mustafa goes and sits in the bleachers, and then they hear tapping coming from the other side of the other bleachers on the other side of the gym. Uh So Brandon goes across the gym to sit there. Uh Uh-huh. So it's like separating them. So you think, oh, this is creepy. So they're both sitting on either side. And then Mustafa says he feels something grabbing his head. Not like an aggressive way, but just kind of like, like grab, like just kind of grabbing his head. And he's not scared. It's not a bad feeling. It's almost like a comforting feeling. Like his face kind of just cupping his face. And he's, he all of a sudden becomes overcome with emotion. And he actually kind of starts to cry oh it he said it felt like like a grandma would just hold your face and that he felt as like a comforting hug it just felt very nice in the auditorium there are two other investigators that are investigating and they left some dim lights on above them so that they could somewhat see around the seats and everything Mm -hmm. auditorium is huge it's beautiful as they are discussing who is going to go up on the stage and up on the balcony by themselves the lights totally dim off. Oh. And not just like turn off. They, they just slowly? slowly dim off. They go to the control booth and check the lighting board, and they can't even figure out how to turn the lights back on. They're, again, something is controlling the light. It's mm-hmm. just really odd. So Grant finally gets that electrician, not a plumber, to come out and check things out, and everything looks fine. But what seems to be happening is some kind of an electric pull. The lights are trying to make a connection, but can't. But like I said, there's there's nothing found wrong with any of the electricity in the building. There's, there's no okay. short. Yeah, he checks it all out. But there's some kind of what he calls an electric pull happening. So Grant's theory is like how a spirit will use the electric power when it drains a battery. A spirit could possibly be trying to pull the energy from the lights to manifest itself or to do something. And like I said, they didn't find any shorts or anything wrong. So that's just kind of their theory from there. Hmm. The researcher of the ghost hunters group also goes and chats with a local historian who actually also used to work in the high school from 1972 to 1998. He claimed that the chandelier in the domed ceiling of the library was hung in 1974 while he was there. And also while he was there, no librarian ever hung herself from the chandelier (laughs) Or in the library at all. Right. He even searched earlier records and newspapers. And so the town is really small. And he even made a comment that, like, there wouldn't even be a card game not posted in the towns. Oh, I see. Okay. But there was nothing reporting a, a suicide. No. And he was like... There would not even be a card game in the town without the paper reporting on this. They would say who was there, who won, what they were wearing, what they were drinking. Like, it was such a small town that would have been reported. (laughs) So he also claimed that the Diamond Gym had always been a little gym. It had never been a pool. Oh, my goodness. No one had ever drowned. It was a gym. In fact, there were no reports of any deaths on the property at all. 
So then they move into night two of the investigation, which was interesting, in that two different investigators went into the gym, uh, Brian and Rochelle. And Rochelle just felt like she was called. She heard tapping again, and she felt like she was called to go sit on the bleachers alone. And she, too, felt overwhelmed by emotion, again, in a good way. And it felt like she was being hugged and held by a spirit from behind her. She didn't go all the way to the top of the bleachers like Mustafa did, but she was maybe like four rows up. And again, just from behind, she just felt like a nice, gentle hug. And she became so overwhelmed with emotion. Like you can see tears just rolling down her cheeks and not in a sad way, but just just very, very comforted. She's like, I don't I she's like, I sound crazy, but I don't want to leave here. She's felt very comforted. Wow. So but they were sitting on the same section. The bleachers were Mm -hmm. on the same section that they were sitting. in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And. Grant and two other investigators headed up to this small room off the balcony in the auditorium to test his theory of the spirit taking the light energy. So he starts this Tesla speaker, which I don't know exactly what it is, but it's this thing that spins. (laughs) And I guess (laughs) I guess it emits like a ton of energy into the air. And then he even sets out like four or five flashlights down on the table and turns them on. Now, these flashlights are not like the sensitive flashlights that I've talked about before where you loosen them up and a spirit can tap it to Mm -hmm. turn it on and off. These are legit. You have to press a button to turn them on, press a button to turn it off flashlights. Uh So he has like four or five of those set out, turns them on just to give more energy. And since this spirit likes to use lights, he assumed, you know, got it. We'll just do this. He also set up an audio recorder as well. So when they asked questions and everything they could listen back and see if something spoke so they start asking questions and they actually start to hear a voice coming from the auditorium oh it's male and it's moaning and it even sounds like i thought that it was warming up it kind of was just like (laughs) kind of a sound coming from the (laughs) oh very proud of myself. And she sings also. <laughs> <laughs> but it sounded like something kind of moaning like that in different tones coming from the stage. Interesting. Okay. So they are kind of going to go look out there. So they wanted to grab their digital recorder and they see that the digital recorder had been drained of its battery and it died and didn't record anything. And then one of the flashlights gets turned off. Oh, And Grant's like, okay, we can see that you're taking energy, but can you give it back to us and let us know that you're here? And the flashlight turns back on. Oh, my gosh. That was so cool. Because like I said, it's not a sensitive flashlight. It's like you have to. So it like gave it energy back because it drained its battery. There was no way that that flashlight could have turned off except if its battery had been drained. And then he gave it back some energy to turn the flashlight back on. Couldn't he have pushed the button to turn it off and then pushed the button to turn it back on? Or did he truly drain the battery or the spirit? This Grant said that the spirit had drained the battery okay. and had taken its energy and then it gave it back. So all in all, more proof that not all legends are real. Do your own research. Don't just believe everything you're told. Um, and um, and um. And um. And yeah, it seems that Pocatello High School has got some school spirit and it's a nice kind, a hugging spirit with good energy. But that's only in the gym. I wonder what the one in the auditorium is like. 
I know. Like, but it, they didn't get any sense of negativity anywhere that they went. I don't know. I just, they got all positive wherever they were. Yeah. But it's just interesting because is this, is this all residual? You'd think it's residual because nobody's died there. Mm-hmm. But then it's taking energy. So that's an intelligent spirit if it's taking from a light well, source, a getting school? energy. So- <laughs> <Ba-dum-bum>. <laughs> I don't know. It just makes you wonder, did somebody just really, really, really love high school that they didn't want to leave? Oh, I don't know. Or maybe there was a death of a high schooler in general. It didn't mm-hmm. necessarily have to happen there, but... I don't know. No, I'm just that definitely could happen. I, it makes me wonder how many high schools are haunted. Right. We've talked about haunted colleges before. Uh-huh. But I don't know. How many high schools are haunted? Cuz there's a huh. lot of energy and emotions that run very high in high schools. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, just think about well, the emotions I as I fell down the stairs. Like, there's just <laughs> that energy. That'd be a fun haunting. Just the residual of Beth falling downstairs. <laughs> you see the God. ghost of Beth tumbling downstairs. That's one place you probably would not go back to. You know, Mom, that high school was very clearly haunted by George. He got me going up those stairs. <laughs> up, not down. Up. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I know, I mean, I I close, you know, where I, I'm a teacher, a drama teacher, and I close the the school up in the last 20 years, I don't know how many times I'm the last one there, and I I never was fearful, Um, Mm -mm. but the school, the junior high that's right across the street, I don't like being in that, that building by myself. I never liked being, because I attended that junior high, I never liked being in that gym and in the back locker room. The locker room is creepy. That whole downstairs behind the... Well, that's where the cat lady lives. Oh, stop it. (laughs) (sighs) All right, Mom. Well, this was a good episode. Those high schoolers, (laughs) man. (laughs) Dangerous creatures. I guess, man, in life and death. Oh. <laughs> Next week, we will be covering stories from Indiana. Oh, yes, Indiana. And That's this fun. was another recommendation. So keep them coming, friends. Keep them coming. We'll keep researching. You can find all the resources for this episode and pictures, as well as how to join our Patreon, as well as listening to the episodes. We have all the different ways you can listen. If you listen on Spotify, if you listen on Apple, however you listen, all of that is on our website, killerhangoverpodcast.com. You can even follow us on our website. So whenever we make a new post on the website or make an announcement or whatever, you get an email. Yeah, there you go. Thank you again to our patrons. We've gotten a few new ones. We have. excited about. Guys, thank you so stinking much. I know. We're, we're Every time we see a new one pop up, either Beth or myself calls. <laughs> it's like, ah, did you see we got a new patron? I love it. <laughs> we're so thankful for you guys. And... Sorry, that was a really big crow that just flew by my window. Very distracting. Um, Squirrel. Crow. (laughs) (laughs) What was I saying? Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) So again, we are recording this virtually. We are. So it's a virtual cheers to you, Mama, and our listeners. Cheers, Mama. Cheers. I love you, kid.